You can take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 28 tonight. Matthew 28. Sunday night is a time for us as a church family to talk about what God is doing in us and among us. We want to come back to some things that are foundational. We aren't going to cover any passages that you probably won't have heard uh, before. You're well familiar with them. We want to just focus again on what is the mission. What, what are we here to do as a body? It's easy for us to lose sight of that. This coming Sunday, uh, Bruce Cox is going to be speaking for us. You can pray for him as he prepares. He'll be focusing on the church. Uh, the pastors are all, all three of us, attending a conference on exposition. So we're all preparing each two different passages and more. So it, it's time intensive and we're grateful for uh, Bruce to be preaching for us. But pray for us that that'd be an encouragement to us this week as well. What is the mission of the church? I'm fairly confident that we could all, if we sat down one-on-one and I said, well, what's the mission of the church? That you could come up with a pretty good answer to that question. But do you know what mission creep is? Do you know what mission creep is? It's when the vision kind of expands and things get a little fuzzy and we lose sight of them being clear as to what it is that we're doing. Mission creep causes an organization to lose sight of its purposes. I once read of a bus company that received complaints that their drivers were speeding past stops of up to 30 people who were waiting on that bus. And the company defended its drivers, stating it is impossible for the drivers to keep their timetable if they have to stop for passengers. (laughs) Think they lost sight of their mission? At times, though, sadly, we could conclude the same thing about the church. What is it that we're to be here about? What are we to be focused on? In a church, mission creep can sneak in among us and cause us to lose sight of what's most important and even begin to divide us. As we say, well, the thing that I like to do is what we should be focused on, and we should do it my way, right? But God's people are not to lose sight of our mission. For us, the mission is far more critical than for a business or another organization. We're called as God's people to glorify him by proclaiming the gospel and making Christ-like disciples who then make more Christ-like disciples. To focus on anything else is to get off course. And what we want to hear, what I want to emphasize to you is this isn't just our mission as the body. We understand the church to be the people of God. So it's your mission. As it's your mission, it's our mission. It's the same thing. Christ's mission for you focuses our lives not only on winning the lost, but also the ongoing health and growth of believers around us. This command encompasses all of what we're to be about The book of Acts demonstrates that God's commitment is to the proclamation and spread of the gospel to all peoples. Acts 1.8, we know it well. Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. And then it gives us that roadmap of the whole book of Acts. He says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So just remember our study in that book about two years ago or more. Every apostle, every evangelist, every follower of Christ was committed to Christ's command to make disciples. That was the story. It wasn't about Peter. It wasn't about Paul. It was about that message 
exploding in the first century world. In fact, Luke was so committed, he's so committed to highlighting the mission that he de-emphasizes the players, the messengers. He does it in almost abrupt and shocking ways. Think of, think of James, the leader of the main church in the New Testament, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He serves the Lord until Herod takes his life, and then without a comment, Luke is moving on. The same goes for Barnabas. We see him instrumental, used by God, and then how did his life end? Stephen is similar. Even Peter. He's on the scene early in the book, and then... And even Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the narrative abruptly ends with him still in prison. And what we see happening again and again is disciple-makers are jumping into the stream of that gospel advance, of investing in those who are lost and investing in the church in proclaiming Christ. And they use up their lives for that cause until God calls them home. And the stream keeps moving. And that's why many commentators say that's why the book of Acts kind of has this very abrupt ending where the story's not finished. Because we're a part of that story. We've jumped into that stream as well. But have you ever thought that churches like these individual men, these followers of Christ, should see themselves in a similar way? Here's what I mean. They don't last forever, and they aren't intended to. Just think through church history for a little while. Where is that church of Jerusalem today? How about Martin Luther's church? How are they doing today? Or John Calvin's? How's the church doing that Jonathan Edwards served? My point is only churches, like followers of Christ, have a divinely chosen lifespan. Our job isn't to say how long it lasts. We want it to keep going. But the point is this. How will we steward the time that we have as a body? However long it lasts is up to God, just like our life is. We're to serve faithfully in the time that we have. This evening, we want to work through this familiar text and ask ourselves a series of questions. And my goal in this talk is simply to remind us, to help us evaluate ourselves, our individual lives and priorities. As we refocus on our mission as individual followers of Christ, then we're also refocusing ourselves as a church. So look at Matthew 28. We'll read verses 18 through 20. I'll make just a few comments of explanation, and then we'll work toward how are we thinking about this as a church family. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all That I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice how the word all dominates these three verses. It ties them together. All authority, all nations, all that has been commanded, all the days. Jesus is about to leave his disciples, ascend to heaven, and the setting of this text and these superlatives should help us recognize the scope. This mission is given to every church. Our job is to faithfully follow this mission. So mission for a church is not like a business coming up with a cool vision statement that helps keep us moving toward uh, making money. 
No, no. Our mission statement is given by our king. Our job is simply to be faithful. The fruit is up to him. We're to be faithful. In verse 18, he boldly claims before his frail and faltering disciples that all authority on earth and in heaven is his. The Father has given him absolute reign, absolute authority. And he is exercising that authority now through his disciples. He's delegating them to be on mission. The main command here among all these things is to make disciples. The other three things are a part of it. They're how we go about making disciples, going, teaching, baptizing. But the main idea is to make disciples. One author writes, to disciple a person to Christ is to bring him into the relationship of student to teacher, accepting what he says to be true because he says it as the teacher, submitting to his requirements as right because the teacher makes them. Disciples then are those who hear, understand, and obey the king's teaching. It's binding on all of us as followers. In their book, What is the Mission of the Church, Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert provide us with a helpful and straightforward definition. They write, the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches. So we're disciples making more disciples. Another theologian put it this way, our job is to lead people from anywhere and everywhere in the world to see Jesus as the great teacher whom they should want to listen carefully to, learn from, and model their lives after. Now here's, here's where we're landing. Here's how I'd restate that purpose for our own church. For his glory, Subarode Baptist Church is striving together. It's not just one person doing this. It's not just the pastor. We're doing this together to develop. It's a process. It doesn't happen immediately. It takes time. We need to be patient and faithful to develop word-centered followers of Jesus Christ. The only way to know God is through his revelation. And we're to be followers of Jesus Christ. One of the most common errors for us as individuals in a church, is to believe that somebody else will do what God has commanded. But the health of a church is when the individual members take up action and begin to serve and begin to make disciples themselves. One church historian points out that the most numerous and successful missionaries of the Christian religion were not the regular teachers, but the Christians themselves We cannot hesitate to believe that the great mission of Christianity was in reality accomplished there in the first centuries by means of informal missionaries. The historian is saying the people, God's people did this work. It wasn't just the evangelists and the teachers and the pastors. The people took this seriously. Now, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Go over to Matthew 8. Again, a very familiar passage, but one we're intending to meditate on. We'll look at this just briefly. Mark 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, this is what will be included in making disciples. We could put it that way. Let 
him deny himself. Life cannot be about you. Let him take up his cross. He must die. His life is not his own. And follow me. For whoever would save his life, whoever would grasp onto it and try to hold onto it and make it his and find satisfaction with his own resources will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. If we're to be on mission, Jesus Christ has to remain front and center. And not just for the church in our worship services or in our teaching here, but in your lives personally. Is he central in your life? Is he shaping the way you make decisions about your job, about your family, about your future, about what you give your life to, your money to? Is this singular person radically shaping your thoughts, your actions, your life? Do you believe he is who he says? He is. Then shouldn't he be radically reshaping your life? As we think about this, this tells us what the church then is about. We don't go to a church because it has the best preaching in town. We don't gather as a body because the programs perfectly fit every need we may feel we have. Or because the worship style is exactly suited to our tastes or preferences. Or because this is the place where we can use our gifts and feel valued. All of those things may have their place, but first and foremost, we gather to proclaim that he is worthy and he's our king. That's why we gather. God has called us as a church to make disciples in the city of Greer, in the, in the county of Greenville. We're well equipped to obey our master's commands. We have more resources today as Christians than Christians throughout the centuries have ever had. We're equipped as a body. We know the word well enough to share it. We know the word well enough to help build each other up. There are are just over 523,500 people in the county of Greenville, in Greenville County, with approximately 250 gospel-preaching churches. And that's, that's very loose. That's those who would claim to proclaim Christ as Lord, who would teach the gospel, So just think about the math there. That means if we had accomplished the mission that God gave us, then every one of those churches would have over 2,000 people as active disciples. Our mission is to give every single man, woman, and child, believer and unbeliever alike, repeated opportunities to see the gospel and how we act and speak. We often bemoan the fact that there's so many churches in this area. But when you think about the task, there's still plenty of need. When you think about your life and the people who live around you, are there not those who still need that word? Why should we pursue this mission as a church? First, Jesus commands it. Jesus commands it. Why should believers risk their comfort? Risk embarrassment when they're to speak up. Sacrifice ease. Let go of promotions at work, perhaps, because it'll take more time away from their mission from the king. Maybe even give up their lives, serving him 
maybe in a foreign country, maybe here, we don't know, to bring the gospel of Christ to people who may just reject, who may ridicule you, who may belittle you. The first reason is because as followers of Christ, Christ has said, I'm with you, I'm the king, I have all authority, go. This is the mission. This is what I did, this is what you will do. We've been told by the king to make disciples. Colin Marshall and Tony Payne write in The Trellis and the Vine, if this is really what God is doing in our world, then it is time to say goodbye to our small, self-oriented ambitions and to abandon ourselves to the cause of Christ in his gospel. God has a plan that will determine the destiny of every person and nation in this world. And it's unfolding here and now in front of us as the gospel of Christ is preached and the Holy Spirit is poured out. And then they ask, is there anything more vital to be doing in our world? Doesn't this make Netflix seem like a waste of time? Right? Doesn't it seem like pursuing that hobby that you say, well, this is just fun. Why not? It's fine if it's a hobby, but is it becoming a priority? They conclude, is it, more, it is more important than our jobs, even our families, our pastimes, and even more important than the comfort and security of our familiar church life. If this is our mission, we have to keep evaluating. Are we on mission? Is our budget on mission? Are we preaching on mission? Are we teaching on mission? Are our programs on mission? Secondly, Christ's love compels us. We're to be motivated by the love of our Lord. We go to others because he came to us. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls or compels us. It urges us forward. Like a magnet, it pulls me on. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. The gospel that we have received and delight in should motivate us to intentionally prioritize making more disciples. We were bought with the precious blood of Christ. We're to love others as we've been loved. Third, the mission is eternally valuable. I want you to just pause and meditate on, it, on this for a moment. What institution that you're a part of right now will go into the next life for all eternity? That you'll be identified as a part of in the next life? It's the church. It's the church. Our family identities, God willing as our families come to Christ, will be absorbed into this spiritual family identity. Our work identities will be dissolved. Think of it. To what other organization did Christ promise that he would build it himself and even the gates of hell could not prevail against it? Does he say that about anything else that you're involved in in this life? Think of the marriage supper of the Lamb in the future. This is Christ's celebration with his bride, the church. This is his passion. 
And every local church is an outworking of that gospel priority and mission. So if this is his passion, shouldn't it be ours? Shouldn't it be ours? If this is what he's all about in this world, that's what we should be about. That's what we saw in the book of Acts. The gospel running and spreading in spite of opposition and hardship to continue building his church until he comes. The question that we're asking even in this third point is, can you invest in anything that's more valuable, that's more significant, that's more lasting, that's more important? Is there anything you'll do with your time that's more important than that mission? Next question is, what is your responsibility in this mission? As followers of Christ, as members of this body, as his disciples, were to sacrificially invest in disciple-making. Every believer, whether 13 or 103, is to be proactively pursuing this mission. We're to do this together. According to Christ's commands, we're not to sit back and watch while others do this work. There's always someone that you should be investing in spiritually. As you evaluate what we're talking about, this is, again, this is restatement of what we believe. This is a refocusing. So let's begin to ask ourselves some questions. Have you lost sight of the mission, his mission, that he's called you to? Are you praying for boldness and looking for opportunities to share your faith with friends and coworkers and neighbors? Are you looking to build relationships with them in order that you might have opportunity to speak in boldness for Christ? Are you being intentional? How are you using your life? It won't last forever. How are you using it? Are you participating in the building up of this body of believers? As a believer in Christ, are you striving together with other believers to develop word-centered followers of Christ? One helpful book on the mission of the church summarizes his focus for us, for every believer. He writes, The Great Commission makes disciple-making the normal agenda and priority of every church and every Christian disciple. Thus, the goal of Christian ministry is quite simple and in a sense measurable. Are we making and nurturing genuine disciples of Jesus Christ? Who are they? Who are they? Ephesians 4 tells us that we accomplish this mission together. The body builds itself up in love. How does God intend for us to grow up in Christ-likeness? Life-on-life, word-centered discipleship. So who in the church family are you investing in? Who outside of the body are you praying for and working toward a gospel conversation? We're promoting at our church every member ministry. Every member. This is the guideline for how we find more leaders, how we develop future leaders and members in our church. This is something your pastors, your spiritual leaders are especially looking for. Where are we seeing healthy members investing in other members? That's who God's raising up as leaders amongst us. God calls your pastors specifically to look for faithful men and women who will teach others also. Now, can I give you a couple of tests by way of application that come to mind as we seek to measure our commitment to the growth of the church family, to this mission? Three specific tests or questions. Uh, The first one is pretty easy. You're here on a Sunday night, 
So I think there's a sense where you're working through this and you're living this out. Do you come to give or only to receive? How do you view the church? Is this a place where you receive resources or you give of your resources? Life in the church is meant to be reciprocal. As you invest in others, this is Ephesians 4, you are grown and growing as others invest in you. It it just keeps feeding itself. The body keeps building itself up. God intends us to build each other up in love. So again, who are you investing in? You should have a name or a group of names that you're spending time with, you're praying with or for. How faithfully are you keeping up with these people? Are you growing in your faithfulness to share the gospel with others? Uh, We're not just saying, are you having contact and saying hi, but are you intentionally working for their growth in Christ-likeness or introducing them to Christ? Are you asking others to pray with you that you might be more faithful in this coming year? Second, when you come to church, are you prioritizing people or programs? This is an important one to think through. When you think of the church, are you thinking of the people? That's what the church is, according to the New Testament, or its programs. Are you thinking first and preeminently of all the details that you have to come together for the day or service to be a success? As you come to the front of the building, as you're entering the doors, are you thinking of what you have to do or who you'd like to speak to? Who needs encouragement? Who you need to connect with? The church is not a set of programs. It's a people. Jesus did not spill his blood, Acts 20, 28, in order that we might come and have the best programs together. He spilled his blood for needy, time-consuming, exhausting, exasperating, but rewarding, eternally meaningful people. What programs do we see being instituted in the first century church? Acts 2 tells us the things that they did. But it was life-on-life ministry. We like to think of programs here with the analogy of a trellis and a vine. This was a book we read several years ago as as church leaders. It's helpful. The trellis are our programs. They're, They're necessary. They're helpful. We use them to help support the vine and help grow the vine. But they're not the point. They're not the primary focus. We're gathered to serve one another. We're scattered to speak, to spread the gospel to those around us. I want you to think in your own life, what person or persons has had the most significant influence in helping shape your spiritual life? Was it primarily because they were committed to an excellent program of which you were a part that you grew? Or was it because they were committed to encouraging you? Life on life ministry. Third, are you seeking to find your identity in your service? This is where it gets sneaky and there's, there's mission creep for us sometimes. Is our church associated in your mind with specific ministries or, again, with its people? How do you respond when you don't receive the recognition or role that you think you deserve or the gratitude? Remember, Jesus said, Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. That should describe every follower, every member of this body. Every believer should view themselves as a servant to others. Think of how Jesus served. Insignificantly. We talked about that around Christmas time. 
He wrote no books. He didn't get a college education. Silent until 30. All his friends abandoned him. What real impact did it look like he had? He's rejected, misunderstood, maligned, abandoned, even by his family, followers, and friends. In our study of the Gospel of Mark several years ago, there's a point where Jesus' mother and brothers say, we need to get him back to Nazareth. He's saying kind of crazy things. They're really not popular. Yet he served. In the church, we're called to serve the Lord with gladness, not because we get the attention, thanks, or positions we always desire or feel like we've earned. We serve with gladness because of who we serve. I know I am getting, as I think through this test for myself, I know I'm getting too focused on myself, my desires, how I want things to go, when I start to see people as obstacles. When I start to see them as obstacles or hindrances to accomplishing the ministry the way I want it to go, rather than as an opportunity to serve them and grow with them even through the hardships or the frustrations. When you start getting jaded with others, it's a good sign that there's too much of you involved, right? I've gotten my gaze fixed on others instead of him. When I recognize that's happening in my heart, I have to stop, repent, Get my eyes off of men. Ask for his grace to see others as he does. And then move forward again in humility and dependence on his grace. Do you ever start to see people as obstacles to ministry? They are the ministry, right? We're making disciples of sinful people. That is the ministry. That's hard for us, isn't it? I want to share with you several areas of ministry, of our church ministry, in which I've been most encouraged lately. I was talking on the phone this week with one of our members who's gone through some hardships, some illness. Um, I don't even know the names of those who were a specific encouragement to this gentleman. But he shared with me two families who came and brought meals to them without request, just knew that they'd gone through a hard time. And at two points, families brought them meals. And the thing that he said encouraged him the most wasn't just that they were willing to share a meal and, and serve them in that way, but both families wanted to pray with them before they left. A body who's thinking of spiritual needs as well as meeting physical needs. I'm grateful for our Sunday morning prayer group. We have a group that prays right there in room one at 9 a.m. on Sundays. And they're committed to saying, we want God to bless our church. This isn't the only time that you can pray for our church. uh, But this is a group of people that are saying, we want to make this a priority. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by a group of people. I went to the Berean class um, maybe a couple years ago and just let them know my schedule through the week and said, if you'd be willing to pray for me through the week as I'm preparing for the sermon, as I'm maybe working on the explanation or the illustrations or the applications, I'll be here working at this point in general. And throughout the week, we have people in our church family that are praying for the proclamation of God's word. That's an encouragement to me and the faithfulness of our church family. I was so encouraged this past Christmas Eve at the many, many visitors, those who did not know Christ as their own Savior from what we know of them who visited at our Christmas Eve service, many who are your friends and neighbors, a a family who lives near us down the street. We we didn't think they would ever come. Uh, They came 
They grew up in Turkey. They don't know Christ. I talked to another member um, at the end of that service who shared with me two different co-workers or uh, people that he was working for that he had the chance to share the gospel with. Uh, We've had a number of new members over the last six months who are eager to do what we're calling us to do tonight, to serve one another, to give our lives toward this mission. I was encouraged several months ago. Someone sent me an email and just gave a word of gratitude and encouragement that so much of our church ministry is focused on growing in the word together. He said, I've never been in a church that emphasized being in God's word together so much and so helpfully. We have a life group right now that is being formed because one group was growing so big that we needed another group. So we have another life group forming. These are all things that not I, not the leaders, not you, we can't accomplish this in our own strength. These are evidences of God's supernatural work. This is what we're desiring for each aspect of our church family. As spiritual leaders of the church, we are striving to develop word-centered followers of Jesus Christ. The deacons and the trustees are striving to develop word-centered followers of Christ. The youth program is doing the same. Every community group and life group is to be committed to develop word-centered followers of Christ, inviting in those who don't know. Every grandparent, divorcee, parent, single person, young person, member of this body should be striving to develop more word-centered followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Do you see how Christ's command leaves none of us out? This is truly every member ministry and responsibility. So the question is, how are we doing by how are you doing? How are you doing in investing in other people, in sharing Christ? Are you on mission? Have other things crept in and distracted you? Is there anything more important that you're investing in right now that you could maybe set aside It's not as important as this mission. What would Christ call you to set aside in order to make more disciples here with his people? Let's close with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in our King's mission for us. We're grateful that he's promised that he will be with us. We have his authority. We have the responsibility given to us, his Command is clear, but we ask, Lord, that you would help us to lay aside the weights, the things that become more of a priority than you do. Lord, if we don't value you, we we won't value your command. We won't obey you. We must make much of Christ in our hearts. And we confess that in many ways we have not done that as we ought to. Help us to turn from those things that are beneath us as those who have been called to follow Christ. Help us to run from our sin to Christ. Help us to turn in repentance and obey and give ourselves faithfully to your calling. Lord, we're thankful for your grace. You've promised to be with us. You've told us that you will help us to obey this mission. You know we are at best unprofitable servants. And yet you participate and encourage and call us to continue on. Help us to be faithful with the time you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.